What is up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Raptors Community Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a bunch of different things, but first of all, we finally hit the All-Star break. The Raptors get an opportunity to take a breather, get some of their guys back, and, you know, due to these health and safety protocol issues that they've had the last few games in the last week or so, they can just get everything together, get their coaching staff back, get Siakam, get Van Vliet, get Ananobi all back, healthy, and then ready to start off. Uh, Second half of the season, they've played exactly 36 out of the 72 games. The Raptors are 17 and 19 and currently sit at 5th in the Atlantic Division. And more importantly, are on the outside looking in with respect to a race for a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. So for the Raptors, they've got a lot of things that they have to consider moving forward because the longer and deeper you get into the season, the more decisions you have to make. The Raptors currently sitting at 8th in the East with the Pacers behind them right now, the Wizards behind them, probably a couple teams that we expect to be better. The Hawks are going to be coming back now that they fired Lloyd Pierce and have brought in Nate McMillan as the interim head coach. So for the Raptors, they've got some things to consider, but we'll talk a little bit about that later. Let's start with the two games that they just recently lost. Obviously, it's shorthanded without, like I said, Van Vliet, without Siakam, without OG Ananobi. They get blown out by the Pistons 129-105. And the only real takeaway from this game is Wayne Ellington really helped kill the Raptors in this game. He hit eight threes, had 25 points on the game. The only other point he had was a free throw on a four-point play from a three-point shot. From that perspective, you know, the Raptors didn't really have much going on their side. They didn't get a lot of production from their bench besides Chris Boucher, who scored 18 points. The only other person who had any points off the bench, which includes Bembry, Johnson, and Watson, all having zero on a total of seven field goal attempts in over 50 minutes of game time total is Matt Thomas with 11 points in 22 minutes, and most of which came in garbage time at the end of this game. So for Toronto, they weren't playing a ton of offense. They allowed the Pistons to score 130 points. The Pistons, the worst team, essentially the worst team in the entire NBA, without their best player too, with Jeremy Grant being out due to injury. The Raptors got Wayne Ellington. They got Dennis Smith Jr. and Mason Plumlee, basically, in this game with Mason Plumlee and Dennis Smith Jr. both having triple doubles in this game, which is crazy. And in addition to that, Wayne Ellington hitting eight threes. The Raptors just did not have enough firepower. They just couldn't quite get the scoring that they needed. Powell obviously played great. And then the second game that they played on, the second night of a back-to-back, heading into this All-Star break, they were 17-17 and before having to play these two games. Now fall to 17 and 19. They lose to the Celtics 132-125. Similarly, the defense for the Raptors has been a concern this year. We know they're not as good because with Aaron Baines and the pick and roll, it's very challenging to, you know, take down and really hold down their offensive superstars, like on a team, the Boston Celtics, for example. Let's just talk about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown coming into this game. They're just you know, they have the offensive tools and in the pick and roll with the guy who's active like, you know, Daniel Tice, a lot of what the Raptors do is not modern day basketball. They drop the big and they fight over screens and this just leads to so much open space on the court 
for a guy like Tatum or a guy like Jalen Brown or any of these star-like players. And that's why the Raptors ended up falling because when they didn't cover the man in the pick and roll, it was an open shot for Tatum, an open shot for Brown, and they finished with a combined 48 points in this game. Tatum was specifically fantastic in this game, but Jalen Brown got a lot of um, foul opportunities. You know, going, like I said, in that pick and roll, then attacking the paint, the Raptors close in, and they, you know, they get a foul potentially, but, you know, when they don't do that, when they switch and potentially throw extra bodies in there, then you have a guy like Walker or Tatum making that basketball play, passing it out to those guys on the wing, whether it's like Jeff Teague, Peyton, Peyton Pritchard, who seems to roast the Raptors every time he hit two of his three three-pointers at 10 points or even a lob opportunity for a guy like Tristan Thompson or Daniel Tice who ended up only playing seven minutes in this game actually but Tristan Thompson was a problem for the Raptors and on the offensive glass he had a couple rebounds Time Lord had three rebounds Grant Williams had two rebounds these are all offensive and it's just been a challenging game for the Raptors when you allow them all those second chance opportunities when they're hitting the three like they did in this game they shot 45% on 30, 29 attempts. The Raptors shot 42% on 50 attempts. So that's what really kept them in this game was their shooting ability. Lowry hit 3 of 11. Powell hit 40%, hit 4 of 10. Stanley Johnson hit 4 of 7. He was tremendous, tremendous in this game. Chris Boucher had 30 points, 11 of 15 from the field. He hit five threes, had five boards. He unfortunately fouled out late in this game, but he was playing spectacular basketball for the Raptors, and he's the perfect mobile big coming off the bench for them. So I think he's a perfect fit for the Raptors. When they look to make that playoff push, they just need the one thing they're missing. Even though Baines has been good, he has been respectable, they still don't have the rebounding to really hang with, you know, the Boston Celtics and these other teams. And even in this game, the Raptors were minus 11 in rebounding. And a lot of that, you know, is, first of all, offensive rebounding opportunities, which isn't a huge difference because you have a guy like Aaron Baines actually cleaning the glass in this game with nine rebounds and four of those offensive, but most of the time you're not going to get that kind of performance from a guy like Baines, but he was good and active on the boards. He was actually taking it to Tice early in this game and giving the Raptors second chance opportunities, which is part of the reason they scored 34 points in that first quarter and specifically why they scored 70 in that first half. The Raptors were really playing really good basketball. They kind of trailed off in the third. Boston went on a huge run, and the Raptors, you know, end up falling short down the stretch of this game. They tried to make a valiant comeback. They had a few times where it came close, but unfortunately they lose this game. And, you know, not a lot to take away, except for that this team plays with a lot of heart. They put it all out there. You had a great game from Powell. Like I said, you had a great game from Boucher. Terrence Davis showcased some of the potential that he had last season, having 22 on the game. Hit 8 of 14 shots, 3 of 8 from 3, and only had one turnover, which is something that we have to be on watch for is Terrence Davis is on turnover watch because he makes sloppy plays on both ends of the floor. He sometimes has stupid fouls. In this game, I felt like he was good at that. I think he had one near the end of the half that was a little, you know, like, why did you do that? But overall, he's been improving this year. And, you know, I think it's just an opportunity thing. The Raptors, without Van Vliet, like I said, are giving Terrence Davis that role off the bench as that point guard who can come out there and play some good minutes for them. 
And I think that's going to be a good thing moving forward for them to try and do because you need some kind of youth off the bench, a guy who can create his own shot while making plays for others, who's athletic, can get out in transition. The only issue, like I said, is he doesn't make the right basketball play all the time, but under a guy like Kyle Lowry, he can potentially improve those parts of his game. Before we get to our next segment, let's take a quick break. So there's some big news for the Toronto Raptors. Kyle Lowry sold his house in Toronto for $5.12 million, and there's a lot of people overreacting to this, and I don't think this is an indication of anything. We saw that when Kawhi Leonard purchased a house in Toronto during his free agency when the Raptors were pretty sure they would sign him again and re-sign him to a big deal. Unfortunately, he went another way and signed a 2-1 and with the LA Clippers, and we saw that there was no correlation between him purchasing a house in Toronto and re-signing with them. Similarly, in the same vein, this kind of applies in the same in the exact same way because Kyle Lowry is not purchasing or selling his house um, in any relation to what's happening with the team. The only thing that this really concerns is the fact that. He's not living in that house in downtown Toronto and he's paying a lot of property tax on it. And I think financially it makes a lot of sense in the hot Toronto market that's currently on fire right now. He got $5 million now, obviously, you know, with all the taxes and stuff, he's going to get a lot of money in pocket that he can then use. Um, And the fact that he's playing in Tampa Bay for the rest of the season is a big reason why he listed his house in the first place, knowing that he wouldn't be going back to his home there. And, you know, these guys make a lot of money. So potentially down the line, he'll buy another house in Toronto. We know he loves the city. So him selling the house, it's more of an indication of his current state and the fact that the Raptors are playing in Tampa. So I don't really like the fact that people are blowing this out of proportion and saying that it's related to him leaving. It really has no correlation. If if I think I know Masai Ujiri like I do, I'm pretty sure that their plan is to compete this season. They see openings in the... Eastern Conference and I feel like he knows there's a move to be made for the Raptors that can help improve their issues so one issue is their forward depth right a guy like Bembry comes out he's not huge but they're missing a guy like Rondé Hollis Jefferson who can come off the bench grab rebounds similar to a guy like Blake Griffin who can shoot the three a little bit too Um, Rondé doesn't really give you that but he gives you some of the hustle plays loose ball action and he's a great defender too So for the Raptors, they're trying to add a piece like that in addition to adding a center who can rebound. So a guy like JaVale McGee seems to be the perfect fit. And I keep saying it, but I'm going to just consider that to be the perfect fit to me. And the Raptors know that, you know, there's a chance Lowry leaves. And selling him for assets makes a lot of sense on paper. But in a way, you're throwing away this current season. And if you're okay with that, then it makes total sense but for me I want to see how this team can play out in the playoffs they're scrappy like I said the east is besides the nets um, not too competitive in terms of you know there are some great teams out there no question that the Celtics at their peak the heat at their peak are really really great teams but if I'm a Raptors fan I can see this Raptors team at least putting up a fight and potentially winning and does that mean they're going to win the title? No, it doesn't. Even if you add a piece, I still don't think you're a title contender. However, it does make things more interesting. And you could see a path where if you get the right matchup in the first round and you don't play Boston in the second round, I think you can see a path where this team could scrap towards a second round 
not only a second round berth, but winning a second round series and going to the Eastern Conference Finals and having the luxury of getting to try and take a stab at the Brooklyn Nets, this superstar trio that they have there. And when healthy, I don't think any team really stands a chance, but if there's a scrappy team I want to see play them, it's going to be the Miami Heat or it's going to be the Raptors. Those are the two teams that intrigue me the most in that kind of matchup. So for Toronto, they've got to add someone in the center position for when they match up against a potential Philadelphia 76ers team that has an MVP on in their corner. They have a defensive player of the year caliber guy in their corner. And more importantly, they've got a better system in place than last season because you got rid of Brett Brown and you put in a guy with some good pedigree in Doc Rivers and you got really good management in Daryl Morey to help put the pieces together around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and utilizing Tobias Harris in the correct way. And the addition of Danny Green and Seth Curry are perfect for this team because, like I said, it adds spacing. So that's a team that's challenging to beat. You need a guy in the center who can sort of control him one-on-one, right? You don't want to throw a double at him every time because a guy like Seth Curry and a guy like Danny Green have a history of burning teams. They can do that. They can shoot 6 of 8. They can shoot 8 of 9 in a game. It's possible. And if that happens and Tobias Harris is is rolling too and Joel Embiid is getting to the line and Ben Simmons getting to the line, you're not going to beat that team. You need a guy who can play one-on-one and be a bit of a stopper. And Aaron Baines can do that. I'm not discrediting him for his past performance against him when he was with the Boston Celtics he was their stopper their Joel Embiid stopper him Al Horford those were the guys who they put on him who would you know they get posterized a couple times that's all right but you're still controlling him maintaining him however you know this is a different Joel Embiid you need a interior guy who can block shots who can hold them one-on-one there aren't many guys like that in the league but a guy like Andre Drummond is at least interesting when in the right system as a guy who, if he puts an effort defensively, can give it to Embiid and at least slow him down a little bit more than potentially a guy like Aaron Baines, or especially Chris Boucher off the bench. Because uh, if you play a team like that, you're going to need Boucher out there as well to help with the rebounding at the four position. Like I said, that's another issue with Toronto, is adding another guy in there who can rebound at the four. A guy with, you know, maybe like six foot nine who can be a little versatile. A guy like Trevor Ariza or someone of that nature who's had a history of can grab a few rebounds on the defensive end, can play good defense, but then also hit a three on the other side. Let's take one more quick break. For our last segment today on the pod, we're going to talk about some all-star game predictions. So let's start with the game, Team LeBron versus Team Durant. And without KD, recent news that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid also might be out due to health and safety protocols, and it looks like that's likely a sure thing due to a positive COVID case from their personal barber. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm going to go with Team LeBron. And I'm not saying unfortunately to Team LeBron, but his team just seems so stacked, especially if Embiid is out of this game, because they just bring so much talent to the table when you look at their starters specifically. So let's just quickly go through who's starting for Team LeBron. You've got Steph Curry, Luka Doncic. Obviously, you've got LeBron. You've got Giannis, and then you have Nikola Jokic. Those are five MVP caliber players with Damian Lillard coming off the bench. So there's no question to me that this team's going to probably win it. Obviously, there's a ton of talent on both sides. So, you know, it's 50-50, but I'm just going to stick with Team LeBron for this one. Let's move into the All-Star events because basically how it works is at 6.30 Eastern, I believe you have the skills challenge and the three-point competition prior to the game. I think the game starts at 8 o'clock. 
And then at halftime, you've got the dunk contest. So let's first start with the skills and three-point competition. So for the skills challenge, you've got Robert Covington, interesting. Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, Julius Randle, sorry, DeMontis Sabonis, and Nikola Vucevic. So these are all talented guys. Uh, Chris Paul's been in this multiple times. You've got Luka. I don't really give a shit about this uh, competition, to be honest. Like, who cares about the dunk? Like, sorry, everyone cares about the dunk contest, the three-point contest. I don't really like the skills challenge. I, I think they could take it out completely and add something else that's a little more fun. But, you know, it's the same thing every time. They pass the ball through some holes. They do a bounce pass through it. They do a layup, and then they shoot a three on the other side. So who am I going to pick as my winner? First of all, it's got to be someone who cares. So I'm going to take off Luka Doncic and Chris Paul because I think they're a little too good for this. And Sabonis as well. I think either Randall or Vucevic are going to win this competition. And I'm going to put my my money on a guy like Julius Randall. So why not? Let's put him in there. First time All-Star. I think he definitely deserves the recognition as a really dynamic and versatile offensive player. A guy who's done it on both ends for the New York Knicks, who are currently fifth in the Eastern Conference, only at 19 and 18. The differential between the East and West is crazy this year. 19 and 18 in the Western Conference puts you at ninth place. They're currently fifth. They have the same record as the Golden State Warriors. Obviously, the competition in the West has been a little bit more interesting, but you know, there's still credit to be had for a guy like Julius Randle, who's bringing the Knicks to above 500 for the first time in a long time. Now let's talk about the three-point competition. So Mike Connolly is in as a replacement for injured Devin Booker. You've got Steph Curry, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum both doing it. Zach Levine and Donovan Mitchell. Zach Levine's shot, he has a lot of... He moves forward a lot when he takes his three, so I think he's going to have a tough time in this competition. Uh, Mike Connolly's pretty smooth, so I think I like him as one of the guys. Uh, Steph Curry's obviously a great pick, or Tatum or Brown. Uh, but I'm going to go with Mike Connolly because why not? I think he can shoot it from three. He can get hot. We've seen it from him. And he's a veteran, a guy that knows his shot form is really well. Steph Curry is obviously a great pick, but who cares? I'm going with, uh, I'm going to ride with Mike Connolly because uh, he was also put in for as an all-star for the first time in his career now, which, you know, people have been saying hurts his legacy because he could end up being the greatest player ever without having any all-star um, selections under his belt, right? Being the best, never been an all-star guy ever, which is good. But I think, I mean, I don't know if that's a valid argument. I think that having an all-star under your belt, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe it hurts your legacy because you won't be talked about as much, but I think it still makes his career look a little bit better. But this is kind of a like a Mickey Mouse um, one at the end as like the second injury replacement kind of guy so just outside of it I don't know I would have rather a guy like DeMar DeRozan get put in there I think he deserves it a little bit more anyway now let's talk about the dunk contest because people are upset with the selection given that you know Zion and Zach Levine are going to be there at the all-star game and not going to be throwing down dunks because we have Anthony Simons Cassius Stanley and Obi Toppin throwing down for us I don't know much about Anthony Simons athletically but I know he's like a smaller guy. He's more of a guard type player. He showed a lot of promise a couple of years ago. And, 
Apparently, he's pretty bouncy, so I think he can be interesting. Cassius Stanley has a higher vertical jump than Zion Williamson. He's really bouncy. He's going to be interesting. And Obi Toppin's a rookie, too. A young guy trying to get his name, you know, kind of sent out there a little bit more. A guy who's trying to get some more recognition around the league. So, for him, it makes total sense to try and go out there and show off a little bit. I'm not too excited, but... You know what? Whatever happens, happens. If it's good, it's good. If it's not, it's going to be terrible. So <laughs> just enjoy the ride. Um, the best part of this event is probably going to be the three-point competition. I'm pretty excited to see Jalen Brown and Tatum in there. You know, a lot of you probably don't love them, but they're still really talented guys. They're still fun players to watch, and I think they're going to be fun to see them shoot around out there. So that's it from us. Thank you again for listening to the pod. I really appreciate your support. If you like the podcast and you're watching on Apple Podcasts, make sure to rate it five stars. We'd really appreciate the support. And as always, stay safe. Peace.